0: Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Mm, 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 mm. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. We are kicking off a new series over the next several weeks called Doing a Great Work. Somebody say great work. I love the story of Nehemiah. This is, if you're into leadership, in fact, I say this, the Bible is the best book on leadership that's ever been written. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. I know there's a lot of podcasts and books and conferences and and helpful materials, but you're not gonna find a better book on leadership than the Bible itself. And in fact, you won't find a, a better case study on leadership than the study of Nehemiah. There are so many lessons, leadership lessons in Nehemiah, I almost don't even know where to start. In fact, it kind of reminded me, how many love to eat at like a buffet? I'll never forget the first time I went to that Chinese buffet, that superfood buffet down in Gonzales, you know what I'm talking about? They just got food for days. I mean, you say you walk in, it's like, I didn't even know where to start. You start with the sesame chicken, the Mongolian beef, or an egg roll. Come on. You just don't even know. You're just overwhelmed with choices. And the same is true for Nehemiah. There's so many great lessons on leadership. Nehemiah is the story of a of a man who saw a need. He rose up. He captured a great vision. He, he built a team, and he laid out a plan. There's so many great things to consider in his journey. Now, Nehemiah... It's interesting. The the book of Nehemiah, you're not going to read a single miracle. There was no overt miracles in Nehemiah. No blinded eyes opened, uh, no deaf ears unplugged. Nobody was raised from the dead or healed from any sickness in the book of Nehemiah. In fact, what you see is an ordinary man doing extraordinary things to honor a magnificent God. I love it. I think God delights in choosing ordinary people like us. He just chooses the simple. He doesn't choose the, you know, the great, the mighty, the powerful. He chooses ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things for him so that in the end, he gets all the glory. It all goes to him. Nehemiah, he was not a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a pastor. Uh, he was a cupbearer. And in fact, we're gonna unpack this for a few moments. I wanna to talk to you today. The title of the message today is simply this The Calling of a Cupbearer. The Calling of a Cupbearer. The walls, a little context. The walls of Jerusalem had been in disrepair for 120 years. This is during the time of captivity, and one of the low points in in Israel's history, they weren't real proud of what was happening in their nation at that time. They were scattered throughout the nations of the world. And the ruling power was the Persian Empire. And here, Nehemiah was a Jew who had, did, who had been displaced from Jerusalem, and he was serving as a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, what we're going to see is, in, in just a few weeks, it's incredible, the wall of Jerusalem had been in disrepair for 120 years, and God uses Nehemiah to rebuild it in just 52 days. Come on, somebody. It's amazing what God can do when you give him opportunity. How many of you know God can do more than what you can do in an entire lifetime? He can do more in five minutes than we can do in five lifetimes. In fact, Nehemiah uses the wealth of the Persians to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. I'm going to tell you, God will use the wealth of your enemies. To accomplish his purposes. Oh, this is so good. If you're taking notes, write this down somewhere, because history makers are note takers. Write this down from ruins to revival, from ruins to revival. We're gonna see a city in ruins, and in just a few weeks, 52 days, we're gonna see God rebuild. A city. This, in fact, this series is so important to me because I think it speaks of something to our church and the community that God has placed us in. We live in some dark and difficult days. We live in some times that are broken down. Can somebody help me today? A lot of people are broken. A lot of people are hurting. We we see broken marriages, broken relationships, broken communities, broken systems, broken spirits, broken dreams. And if God did it, then he can do it again. If God can use an ordinary man like Nehemiah, wasn't a prophet. Now, he's not Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, this ordinary guy to do something extraordinary. Read with me in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Starting with verse 3. They said to me, now this is Nehemiah talking. He's getting reports from his brothers who are coming from Judah and the reporting about what's happening in Jerusalem as Nehemiah is serving in the Persian empire in a distant land. They said to me, Nehemiah, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. Can I stop right here and say this? There is room in the body of Christ for sadness and sorrow. I want you to know it's okay to grieve. It's okay to cry. You know, sometimes we come to church and we feel like we got to have it all together and we put on the faith. How you doing? Well, praise the Lord. I'm doing great. Isn't everything great? But we live in the same world where we hurt. We suffer. Our kids don't always act right. Come on, money doesn't always do what we think it's going to do. Sometimes we have friendships that we think will last forever, but people, they stab you in the back. I mean, it's okay to be sorrowful and sad. Nehemiah says, I sat down... And I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Now, let me give you four simple thoughts. But As we launch into this study of doing a great work, I want to learn from the lesson of Nehemiah and give you simple thoughts on how to do something great. First of all, number one, Nehemiah had a sense of responsibility. Somebody say responsibility. That's an important word. Nehemiah, when he heard the news, he wept. Now, Nehemiah was part of the exiles that didn't go back to Jerusalem. He stayed in Persia. In fact, he was living in the palace with the king. Nehemiah could have heard the report of what was happening in his hometown and be like, better them than me. And Nehemiah could have thought, well, you know what? That's not my problem. Come on, listen to me. Listen to me. As the body of believers, when somebody's hurting, we have to carry a sense of responsibility. We can't say, well, that's not my problem. Uh, Nehemiah was living in the palace. He was close to the king. He had everything that life could afford at his disposal. Yet when he heard what was happening in his hometown with his family, their pain became his pain. Come on, somebody. There's a sense of responsibility that we have to carry when it comes to suffering humanity. You know, God, there are moments where God wants us to just sit in the suffering of somebody else, enter into their suffering. You know, it's easy sometimes to just focus on ourselves. Nehemiah wasn't about self-preservation. We're going to see in just a moment that Nehemiah was about self-abandonment. He wasn't saying, hey, that's not my problem. He saw their pain as his responsibility. And I want to tell you, if we're going to make a difference in the world today, we have to have a burden for the broken. Come on, talk to me. You have to feel the suffering of your community. I mean, the cities that God has placed us in. Think about the pain on the streets of Baton Rouge and the surrounding areas. Think about the struggles of our children, of what's happening in our community. You know, I believe God wants us as the church to cry out for our cities. Man, we gotta have a sense of responsibility. When we read the news and we hear the plight of of a family that's that's suffering from whatever, maybe it's violence or crime or you know, drug addiction. Man, their pain has to become our pain. We can't just live in our cocoon of safety and say, that's not my problem. we got to sit down and weep with some people. You see, God always uses people when he wants to change a city. Let me say that again. God always uses people when he wants to change a city. And in fact, the people that he uses are his people. God wants to use the church. It's the church that has the anointing. It's the church that has the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the church that knows the truth. You see, I believe often your best ministry will come out of your deepest pain. How many of you have experienced some pain in your life? Oh, yes. Think about it. The pain that you have walked through The tears that you have cried, some of you have come out of addiction, and you know the darkness of the world of addiction. Some of you have family members that have been addicted, and you've walked that journey with them. You've fought those battles. You've cried your tears. I believe that your best ministry often comes out of your deepest pain. Who is it that God would want to use to set captives free? Well, those who've come through addiction and been freed by the power of God. Some of you have walked through brokenness in your family. Maybe you came from a broken home. I did. I'm a product of a broken home. I understand dysfunction in families. In fact, I say this all the time. My family, we put the funk in dysfunctional. I know what it's like to have a single mom working several jobs just trying to provide for her kids. Guess what? I can sit down across from the table of a a kid who feels abandoned and his parents have gone through divorce, and I can speak something into his life because I've been there. And if you've been there and you've done that, God say, listen, use that, leverage that to bring hope and healing to somebody else. You see, God can use the pain of your past to bring hope to somebody else's future. Can I have a good amen? You see, your misery can become your ministry. You're saying, God, deliver me from this, and God's saying, no, I'm gonna bring you through it. So when you get to the other side, now you've got a little knowledge that you can help somebody else with. You see, your pain is not just for you. Your pain has a purpose. Can I have a good amen? The common denominator of those who do something great, it's not talent, it's not intelligence, it's not money, but it's having a burden, having a, bur- a sense of responsibility. I remember years ago and on a Wednesday night after church, it was probably 10, 10.30 at night, and so I was headed home. And at the time, we were living in Prairieville, and I was driving home by myself, 10.30 at night, and I see this car stranded in the middle of the, of the road. And this lady is, she's by herself. And I thought, man, that's not good. It's late at night. It's dark. She needs help. She's having car problems. Never mind the fact, I don't know the first thing about vehicles. <laughs> but I felt a sense of responsibility. Gotta pull over and help this lady. And when I got out, I immediately realized this situation is a little different than what I anticipated. At first, I didn't want to intimidate her. She's by herself, it's late at night, and here comes a dude that she doesn't know coming toward her. But when I looked at her, then the tables were turned. This woman had the biggest muscles I've ever seen in my life. A lot of tattoos, a lot of piercings, and she was smoking a cigar. Come on, somebody. I thought, Lord, she could hurt me. Got Rachel on speed dial just in case a fight broke out. I said, listen, is there, is there anything? Do you need help? And she said, I think it's my battery. And you know, so I was like, okay, well, I got some jumper cables, so I went back to my car and I got the cables and started hooking them up. And she looked at me, and it's kind of strange. She said, Are you Catholic? I thought that was an odd question. I said, no, why? She said, Well, what's the deal with the crown of thorns on your rear view mirror in your car? She saw I had a crown of thorns hanging in my little Honda right there on my mirror, and I'm like, well, you know, every time I look at that crown, it helps me to keep my sanity when I drive. I mean, I love the Lord, and I need his grace and peace to get through each and every day. And she said, well, where do you go to church? I said, I go to church. I go to church on Highland Road. She said, Highland Road, do you go to the healing church? She called us the healing church. I was like, yeah, that's the church I go to. She said, what do you know about the Healing Church? I said, I know a little something about the Healing Church. She said, do you know that when Katrina hit, my family and I were living in New Orleans, when Katrina hit, we had to evacuate. We came to Baton Rouge with nothing but the clothes on our back. Do you know that the Healing Church put shoes on our feet? Let me tell you something about compassion. Compassion is the ability to step into somebody's shoes. Compassion is the ability to see what they see, feel what they feel. Nehemiah says, I got compassion on my brothers back in Jerusalem. I may be living in a palace, but I've got a sense of responsibility to their pain. Come on, talk to me. HPC, we've always carried a sense of responsibility. Now listen, we can't do everything but we can do something. And if it's simply prayer, we'll do something with everything we've got. Number one, a sense of responsibility. Look at what it says in chapter two, verse one. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never appeared sad in his presence before. For the first time in years of service, Nehemiah appears sad in the presence of the king. So the king asks me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Now, notice this. Not only did Nehemiah carry a sense of responsibility, but number two, he walked in consistency. Somebody say Consistency. Now, Nehemiah was the cupbearer, and his responsibility was to taste all the food and the drink being served to the king. His responsibility was to ensure the safety of the food supply. You say, man, that must be a great job. He's getting to taste all the delicacies. It wasn't for taste. It was for trust. Come on. The reason why Nehemiah was so close to the king is because he could be trusted. In other words, if there was an assassination plot on the king, somebody might try to poison his drink or put something in his food. And so Nehemiah served as the head of secret service. He was trustworthy. The king knew he needed to pick somebody that he could count on, somebody that was consistent. Nehemiah served, get this, Nehemiah served as a living life insurance policy for the king. Now, listen, if you were the king, wouldn't you want somebody that you could trust as your cupbearer? The Bible says that Nehemiah consistently for years, he showed up to work with a good attitude. Man, it didn't matter what was happening around him. Man, he was faithful in his service to the king. He was in a foreign land serving a foreign king away from his people, but he brought his best to his job every day. Now, there's a lesson for all of us who go to work. There's a lesson for our kids who go to school every day. Bring your best into that environment. Be consistent. Be steady. Be solid. Be dependable. Listen, when you're consistent, it builds trust. Nehemiah was someone that the king could trust because he saw consistency. That's why when Nehemiah comes in with a sad face, the king took notice. Wait, this isn't like you. This isn't what I'm used to. The king was used to good service and a good spirit and an outgoing cupbearer, and yet there was something different. You see, I believe this, that God wants consistency in the church. How many of you know you can't build anything great on inconsistency? How many of you, you need consistency in a friendship? If you're going to build camaraderie or chemistry, you want to have people that you know what you're going to get when they show up. Unpredictability does not build great friendships. In fact, I'll say this. My two non-negotiables for friendship, loyalty and low maintenance. Come on, help me, help me. Loyalty, listen, don't stab me in the back. I gotta be able to trust you. But low maintenance, do not bring drama into my life. You people who bring drama are emotionally expensive and I can't afford you. Somebody say, consistency. Look, you can't date. You can't build a dating relationship on inconsistency. I remember I dated some girls in high school. It was like the stock market, man. They were up one minute and down the next. How many know you don't want to date sister stock market? (laughs) Debbie Dow Jones will break your heart. Come on, talk to me today. Gain 100 points one day, lose 500 the next. That's what I love about my wife. She's consistent. Man, I married that girl. Can I tell you, your kids need to see some consistency in the home. In parenting your children, in disciplining your sons and daughters, be consistent. Man, if it's wrong on Tuesday, it's also wrong on Wednesday. If it was right Thursday, it's going to be right on Friday. Be the same. Eliminate the guesswork. You see, the king knew what he was getting when Nehemiah walked into the room. Let me ask you this. How consistent are you? Do you keep your promises? Do you show up on time? Is your word your bond? Consistency builds trust. Everybody say responsibility. Say consistency. Say publicity. Number three, Nehemiah did not need publicity. Now, listen to me. This is where it gets really good. He was a cupbearer. He would taste the food and the drink in private. He didn't do it in front of the king. It would be disrespectful. He did his most important work behind closed doors. And most of the time, Nehemiah's role would go unnoticed. Nobody ever said, hey. I mean, can you imagine every time the king is thirsty, Nehemiah had to be available. And Nehemiah is literally putting his life on the line every time the king gets thirsty. Oh, the king wants a snack. He's getting a little hungry. Nehemiah, we need you. Nobody gave him a pat on the back. It wasn't like the king was like, (laughs) Nehemiah, great job. I didn't die today. Didn't get sick. Nehemiah, you're doing such a great job. Nobody patted him on the back. But let me tell you this. Nobody, perhaps, no one in the entire kingdom was more courageous than Nehemiah because every day he put his life on the line. The king didn't. The king was in comfort, but Nehemiah was taking risk every single day, and nobody would ever say anything to, me, to Nehemiah unless the king got sick. I mean, they'd only recognize him when he got it wrong. Come on now. But Nehemiah... He did it anyway. He never said, look, look at me, look at me. I'm so close to the king. Look at me. I'm close to those that are important. Notice me. Look at me. Nehemiah didn't need the spotlight. I want to tell you this. Men and women who do great things for the kingdom, they don't chase the spotlight. But the spotlight ends up finding them. Nehemiah, he, he didn't do it for the applause. He did it for the cause. Come on, somebody. He didn't do it for a pat on the back, didn't need anybody to celebrate him. He's faithful. He's just doing what God's uh, called him to do and being faithful in his assignment. I remember years ago, uh, Rachel and I were in youth ministry, and one of the things we got to do, and I loved it, we went to all kinds of of, of high school campuses all throughout the Baton Rouge area, And, and our team would come in during lunchtime at these high school campuses and we would bring pizza. We would bring boxes and boxes of pizza, and and we would serve kids pizza, and then we would be able to teach them or train them about leadership, about character. Some cases, we were able to talk to them about Christ. It was beautiful. I mean, powerful. It was a great way to go fishing. Pizza was the bait, and Jesus was the hook. And we would minister to literally 2,500 students every single week. Every day of the week, we were at a campus somewhere. In fact, to this day, sometimes I'm, I'm in public. I'm walking in a public place, and somebody sees me, and they, they, they recognize me. They say, hey, you're the pizza guy. <laughs> they don't know me as Pastor Mike. They know me as the guy who brings Papa John's. Like, hey, whatever it takes. And I remember one time we were visiting a a, a church in, in our community and we went to go check out one of their youth services to learn from what they do. And we were a few minutes late getting there so the music had already started, worship was happening and there were hundreds of kids all over. And so Rachel and I, with some of our friends, we sat in the back. Well, as service was going on, some of the kids looked over their shoulder and they recognized me. And so they started whispering to their friends, hey, that's the pizza guy. And so they begin to trickle to the back of the, of the sanctuary. This is all during worship. It's all happening. I got clusters of kids now gathered around me, and they say, oh, Mr. Mike, you go to my school on Tuesdays. I go to East Ascension High School. You come to my school. you have that." And so clusters of kids now. We're, we're, we got a group hanging out with us in the back while service is going on. Now, have you ever been corrected by the Holy Ghost? Just up. <laughs> I felt the Spirit of God whisper to me. He he said, Mike, you like all this attention, don't you? You liking that, huh? And I had to be honest. It kind of felt good. Walk up in there. Hey, what's happening? You know what God said? He said, Mike, if they're paying attention to you, they're ignoring me. In fact, he said this, this place isn't big enough for both of us, so one of us has got to leave. You know what I did? I said, Rachel, let's pack up our stuff. We got to roll. Why? Because I had made that moment about myself, and when you do it unto your own glory, listen to me, God will share a lot of things with us. He'll share his name. He shared his son, and one day he will share his home with us. But one thing God will never share with us is his glory. All the glory belongs to God. And when we serve, we serve as unto the Lord. What I love about Nehemiah, not only did he have a sense of responsibility, not only was he consistent, but he, he shied away from the spotlight. You see, listen, if you and I are trying to become famous, then we got a problem. Because there's only one celebrity in the kingdom, and his name is Jesus, and we're about making Jesus famous. And if we make Jesus famous, then we're okay to be anonymous. Come on, somebody, turn to your neighbor and say it's not about me. Now let, let me let me hustle. Let me let me close. Let, let me give this this last thought. Okay, somebody say say responsibility, say consistency, say publicity. Now say adversity. Number four, Nehemiah understood adversity. Watch what he says here in chapter 1, verse 11. He says, oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. I want to ask the band to come up, but I want you to... I want you to hear this. Nehemiah had the king's ear, but he knew he needed God's help to turn the king's heart. See, what Nehemiah's getting ready to do is he's getting ready to petition the king. All this rapport that Nehemiah had built, there was a, a purpose behind all of it. God was positioning Nehemiah to help do an even greater work. Come on, somebody. Somebody say greater work. Now, I know you're doing some good things now, but there's a greater work that God has for us. In fact, here's what I would suggest. We wouldn't even know Nehemiah's name if it weren't for the adversity that he had to go through. Think about it. If he had not responded to adversity... He would have lived comfortably. He would have had all of his physical needs met, but he would have missed his divine purpose. God had brought him to the palace and given him favor with an earthly king. Can I tell you this? We have favor with the king of kings. And God wants to leverage what's in his heart through us to bring healing to communities that are broken down. Now, I've said all that to say this. In a few weeks, in fact, on December 4th, I want you to write that date down. Circle that on your calendar. The first Sunday in December. We call it 320 Sunday. 320 Sunday. It's a, it's a special day that we designate once a year where as a church across all of our campuses, we give toward a specific offering. We call it the 320 offering because it's taken out of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 where it says God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. 320 is, is our church. It's our chance to see God do exceedingly abundantly above in our families, in our lives, in our community, and in this church. There are certain projects, and I want to quickly go through this, but I want you to see just a, a, a landscape of what this 320 offering is gonna to go to this year. So many different projects. We do, one of our favorite outreaches, we do hams for fams every year. At Thanksgiving, we're, we're gonna give over 1,400 hams to families uh, all across this community. All of our regional campuses will be participating in this. When you give in that offering, it's helping to prepare a meal for families that are in need right here in our community. And it's this great outreach that your kids can be a part of as well. You drive up and you get your get your ham, get your meal, and we send you out into the community with specific addresses. These are families that we've been serving and working with for years. Hams for families. You know what else your your giving is gonna to go toward? Gift cards. Gift cards. I'm telling you, with inflation and with the way the economy is. And people are struggling financially. There'll be families that will struggle to provide gifts for their children. And so through our ministries and small groups, we'll have gift cards, vouchers to give to families in need. We're going to host so many different parties. We're going to care for widows. The Bible says to care for the orphan and the widow in their affliction. We're going to host environments to serve widows. And we're going to bless single moms and their children. We're going to give gifts to kids in group homes. We have a a, a boy's home downtown that that we've been investing in these young men. We're going to bring value to these guys. We're going to bring gifts to foster care youth. Uh, We do Christmas Clubhouse every year at our Dream Center off of Winburn Avenue. It's a way to bring help and hope to people, to lift people's spirits. Gifts, over 300 gifts to kids in foster care, group homes, Dream Center, single-parent homes. One of my favorite things this year, we have a campus in southern Africa, in Eswatini, in Swaziland. And we're going to bring gifts to kids who are living in in prison with their parents. There's this school for the deaf. A lot of students that are part of this school, they don't even want to go home because they can't communicate with their family. The need is so great for those kids. They have absolutely nothing. What they need is just basic necessities. When you give in this 320 offering, it's going to add value to these students at that school for the deaf in Eswatini, Africa. There's also a refugee camp. Uh, Many people have fled countries in in Southern Africa, and they've, they've gathered in Eswatini. They're escaping persecution and oppression from all over the continent. And there's so many kids that just, they don't have anything but the clothes on their backs. So when we give in this offering, it's going to be our opportunity to say to these children, God sees you, that God loves you. And you are not forgotten. Come on, somebody help me today. We're going to the prisons. Many of you know the love we have for Angola and LCIW. We're bringing care packages to these residents in in, in these facilities. This is our family. Uh, I love one of our pastors said it this week. He said, some of my closest friends live in gated communities. This is our family. And they may be behind bars, but they're a part of us. And it's our way of saying we love you. We're going to prepare a meal for, for Hunt and Angola, as well as care packages. We're going to give you an opportunity one Sunday, right after service, to help package these supplies. Uh, some of you have, are, have been a part of this journey as it relates to Ascension Campus. You know, right there in a, in Ascension, we we bought a piece of property two years ago in the middle of a pandemic back when they said, hold on to your cash. I mean, there's so much uncertainty. Man, cash is king. We felt the Lord said, buy this nine acres in ascension because this will be the future site of a campus. So we took a step of faith. We we, we worked with architects for drawings. Here's a a rendering of the potential campus there off off of Airline Highway. And so we finalized the plans and we sent these plans out for bid. Well, we got our bids back last week. Can I tell you? It is a tough time to build in this country. And I wanna say this. I was so hopeful that we could break ground soon, but when we got those bids back, I felt the Lord said, put the brakes on. Just wait. Two words that he dropped in my spirit. He said, Mike, be responsible and be measured. Be responsible and be measured. And so I talked to my board. I talked to our executive team. We even told our staff, you know what? We're just gonna wait on God. We've got to trust his timing. I remember when Mary, the mother of Jesus, was, she was pregnant with Jesus. She went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was also pregnant with John the Baptist. The Bible says when, when the two girls got together, when Elizabeth saw Mary, the baby inside of her just began to leap. And Elizabeth told Mary, she said, Mary, Luke 1 Mary, you are blessed because you have believed that God would do everything he said he would. Where was her blessing? It was connected to her believing. Mary, here's why you're so blessed, because you just believed, even when it didn't make sense. You believed. And you know what the Lord told me? He said, Mike, the blessing is on HPC because you're believing. Keep believing me for Ascension Campus. Trust my timing. Believe that I will do everything I said I would. How many of you know if it's God's project, if it's his will, it's his bill? So we're going to trust God with it. Now, you say, Mike, so we're pumping the brakes on Ascension? Well, we're just going to wait for the right timing. Either our cash position changes or it's more favorable time to build. God's in control. I do know this, we will never stop serving the poor. Even while we're believing God for this ascension build out, we're going into the margins of our culture and we're gonna bring value to people, amen. Come on, do you receive that today? Would you put your hands together if you believe that? Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church.